everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Italian Football Fancast, brought to you by ForzaItalianFootball.com. I'm the show's host, Connell, as always, and I've brought a pretty stellar lineup this week. So let me get straight into tonight's guests, straight up to the editor-in-chief of Forza Italian Football, Luke Van Spar. Yeah, I'm chuffed to be here, to be honest. Good to be with the boys. Welcome the other guests. You're having a fun time, because sitting right next to you is Luca Gumby. Hi, hi Connell and Luke. It's good to be here, I haven't done this for a while, so yeah, looking forward to it. And of course, our ever-present name on the show, Patrick Wellens, having a blast of a time. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to being joined by Luca and Luke, the, liking them a bit to Tony and Patsini. Connell, if if I can get a Serie A reference in early, they're, they're entertaining, but you know, it just ain't going to end well, am I right, Luke? Reliable, I would say. A reliable oh. partnership. Beyond their age. But bound for Serie B. It's proper football. Oh, what's this, Luke? You think they're going to stay up? Mr Whelan did propose a bet, and I think he was the one who mm. offered €20 Euros that Hellas Verona will stay in Serie A. Putting words and money in my mouth. How dare you? <laughs> we can up the stakes if you want, Mr Barr, for the listeners. Definitely, yeah. How much? I think if they do go down, we should. What should we do that would really humiliate you? Change your Twitter picture to to Jürgen Klopp instead. Jürgen Klopp, yeah, go on. Probably. Who can yours be? You, me, me, yeah, go on. That that'll do. <laughs> What's this about? You can repay him back with the fifty euros as well. Are you going to win on that little Morrison bet? Oh well, the, the less said about <laughs> Ravel, the better. I'm not one to gloat, Connor. I'm not one to. But all the signs were there. Not there anymore. Well, we've got that on recording now. So, second Verona do survive relegation, which they will. You're going to be coughing it up. End of the season, lads. End of the season. They've got quite quite a good run of games coming up, but we're actually not going to start with them because we want to start with, uh, well, the biggest team that everyone says and everyone just loves to see them top of the league. Juve. Now, normally we would start off with a bat with the weekend's latest action. However, I kind of want to rewind a bit. Before we do that, and look back to Juventus' Champions League fixture at home to Bayern Munich. Now, uh, Paddy, by the time this podcast is out, they'll probably be playing again, this time in the Coppa Italia against Inter. But I thought it would be an interesting point to mention, considering the pretty amazing show that they put on in the second half. They went down 2-0, and then all of a sudden, Pauli Dybala scores, and things look lively again. Before you know it, it's 2 all. Yeah, and it almost, I think it quite came out of nowhere, because at half time, certainly wouldn't have saw that coming. I thought that Bayern Munich were... Dominant probably should have been more than a goal up at half time, and then it wasn't really a great surprise when they managed to go 2 0 up in the second half. But Juve, yeah, they, they really showed great character. And considering that they're not often on the back foot at home and have to go chasing games like that, I think the crowd were stunned for, for the first 10 minutes or so after Robin managed to score the second goal. But they, fair play to Juve, they really did show great character and Allegri. Just got the, the changes spot on again. He's been been known to, or it's been a criticism, I suppose, of, of him in the past, of how he changes things and maybe he doesn't affect games as well as he could in the middle of the, the match. But bringing on Morata and Storaro and the two of them having the hand in the second goal, that was that was massive and kudos to him for that. But I think it's still quite an uphill battle for them, especially if some of their key players at Chiellini picking up an injury at the weekend and it's hard to know how long he may or may not be out for at the moment so without him it would be it'd be all the tougher but I think it's it's going to be a real mountain to climb for them regardless Do you think Paddy? 
I do, I do. You, do you're not going to make another bet, are you, that, that UV are going to qualify? <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm intrigued. I, 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 think, I think they're solid. I think they can do it. Why? C- convince me. Convince me. Well, they're more resilient than you'd expect, I suppose, bringing on Storaro, sort of hard-working Italian player, bit bit different, perhaps less entitled that they can come from behind, get a draw like that. Don't see why a 1-0 win is beyond their means. I Bayern would still be the favourites, but it's a bit of toughness about them, a bit of canny tactics from the coach. Could do it. It's an uphill battle, as you said, but it's doable. Yeah, the only, the only thing that I just struggle to see, or to, yeah, to see UV keeping a clean sheet in Germany. Like they kind of cut them open a bit at well at times in the first half, and they kind of settled well towards the end. UV, but yeah, I think over there, whether UV score or not, it's hard to see Bayern not hitting the net at least once. But who knows? Hopefully, they can do it because the way Roma are going, and I don't know if Luke's going to try convince me that they are going to turn things around as well. But how about Spalletti's claim for Roma for the Scudetto next year, Pug? <laughs> well, you, you you could like this could be an unbelievable debut performance for you. See if like Verona go on and stay up and Juve overturn it and Roma go on to win the league. Like, bookmakers will be out to get you, tipping for their websites and all the rest of it. That's why he's on here. He's on here just to make these predictions. But uh, will they really score that much? I mean, Allegri could argue that he hasn't really chosen his preferred uh, duo up front. You've still got him swapping between Dybala, Mandzukic and Dybala, Morata. And then you've still got Zaza. But Dybala, he's just... He is so lethal in front of goal. I thought I think he showed by his goal against Bayern that he can perform in the big games. And I also think the partnership he is forming with Mandzukic is quite, it's quite impressive considering his age, really. But yeah, no, I think I, I think Juve have got a solid start in eleven at the moment, and I think they really can. I think they can get a result away in Germany. To be honest, yeah. Even Zadza, he got the all important goal against Napoli, so perhaps he could specialise in these little appearances off the bench to get these important goals. Perhaps Bayern wouldn't expect so much of Zadza. He wouldn't be their number one priority. So they've certainly got enough choice up front. I think overall, obviously, Bayern are stronger, but they could sort of mix up a bit Juventus. They're good enough to get a goal. They've got a lot of players who can score, so there's no reason why they could can nick a result. They might not necessarily deserve to go through. They probably can't control the game, but they could go out, spoil, and see if they can just sneak a goal. They don't want to be intimidated by the, the Germans, but they could sort of try and be reactive and see as well as how well they can do with that, because they're good enough to play like that and smart enough to do so. And what about their performance against Inter in the Derby d'Italia? Was it similar in any way, do you think, to how they played in this second half against Bayern? I, I wouldn't say so. I don't think Inter offered much of a challenge to the Juventus, to be honest. I think, especially in the second half of the Derby d'Italia, I think Juventus rarely had to get into second gear almost, I think, as the, as the game passed on. Juve, Juventus just made it look so simple and I think that composure and possession I think just completely outclassed Inter to be honest Yeah I think Inter were far more afraid of Juve than you would expect Bayern Munich to be far more passive trying to spoil whereas perhaps that role now will be on Inter's shoulders so I don't think there's too much of a comparison there Inter in a bit of 
difficulty. They've always had quite a negative style this season, and pragmatism had worked up until a point. But with Juventus, how they are, they were able to control that game fairly comfortably without getting involved into too much sort of action where they jeopardised their their style really. And Paddy, are you happy with the way that the ref Gianluca Rocchi handled things as well? There were a lot of complaints about some of his calls and bookings in the first half and then I guess sort of like his boxing namesake, he went and knocked into out of the game in the final minutes with that penalty. Was that a fair decision considering Miranda's tackle? Yeah, I thought I didn't think Ento could could have complained too much. My first reaction when I saw it was that it was a penalty. Maybe Morata went down a little easy, but Rocky only has that same amount of time, I suppose, to react to it. And if he saw what, I suppose, people at home maybe watching it saw, then I'm not surprised that he gave it. I, did, I didn't quite see the the big fuss about his performance. I know he kind of, there was maybe stages when he was letting fouls go that he probably should have blown up for and let one or two players maybe off with a little more than he should have. But you didn't want to see the game spoiled by a red card and when Felipe Melo's on the field, that's always a possibility. He just seems to walk the tightrope. He wasn't the only one. There's a few fiery characters in both teams, I suppose, and it was a big derby occasion. So I thought that it was quite overblown, really, the, the criticism of Rocky. I think Benucci, he really showed him how to do it, I think, especially during a derby like that. In a fiery game, he was so composed when he was bringing the ball out. I think at one point he, it showed him in the, I can't remember at one point in the game it was, but he took on his man with a little flick and then curled the ball just on the byline. And this is from an Italian central defender. This isn't necessarily something we've expected to see over the years. And I thought he was brilliant the way he handled the game. And obviously, you don't often see a central defender firing a volley as easily as he did. And I think. Benucci is he's integral to what Juventus are doing at the moment, and I thought he was absolutely outstanding against Inter. To see in the pre-match photos as well, I think Benucci was sort of at the back of the Juve line, just screaming. So it's certainly impressive that he can have that controlled aggression and competitiveness, and then still be a good ball-playing defender. That's certainly something that not many teams are going to want to have to deal with a player at the back who can launch possession, like just keep it comfortably and then as he did, obviously it was a defensive mistake from Inter but then finish comfortably on the volley to get an important goal as he did in the Derby d'Italia. Well, it's probably also worth mentioning Regani came on for Chiellini, who Paddy, you said went out injured. He hasn't quite recovered yet from his original injury and Regani in a big Derby game kept his cool considerably well. Yeah, he's quality Regani, like you saw at Empoli last season, he's just so composed, he's He's just a real standout player and for such a young guy. I think the the massive stat that was going about that I'm sure everybody knows about, but it's worth repeating again that in Serie A last season he played every minute of every game for a team who were expected to struggle and he wasn't booked once, which just an unbelievable stat really. I can't seem to fathom that one for someone so young. It really does bear repeating and as Luke said, Bonucci, one of the most underrated defenders probably in world football, I think. He's one that nobody really seems to talk about when the great central defenders at the minute are being discussed. He never really enters the equation, and I really think he should, and there's no better man, I suppose, for Regani to learn off as well. So the future seems very bright in that position for Juve. Yeah, as you said, impressive. It'll be 
certainly be interesting if Chiellini's out for the return Champions League game, what Allegri decides to do, but I'd imagine if Chiellini doesn't make it for that one, he'll probably go back to his four-man defence and maybe I think he'd probably view it as one too soon for Rugani, but I think all the all the signs this season definitely been positive. I, th- I think you're you're right saying there, Paddy. He couldn't Rugani. He has some of the best defenders in Italy to learn off, and I think he may be missing out on some first team action. He certainly was at the start of the season, obviously. But I think to learn from the likes of Chiellini, Bonucci, and Barzagli, I think that is that is going to help his career progress so much. And I do think these fleeting appearances in such big games also are so beneficial to his progression as a footballer. Yeah, it speaks so so well for him as well that he can go from having been this ever-present player for Empoli to being very much second choice at Juventus with the view to him doing something more in the future. And then even if he just comes on for 20 minutes, he you don't really notice him, which is always obviously a, a plus point for a defender, um, for any defender. So. Especially for Juventus. Yeah, like he can deal with this pressure. He doesn't seem frustrated. Oh, I want to play. I'm going to go out on loan to some middling mid-table team. He'll just wait, take his chance when he gets given it. He'll do as well as he can. Andrea Ranocchia, on the other hand. Now, he is happy to go on loan to a Sampdoria special. Oh, from captain of one of the biggest clubs in the country to fighting relegation all in the space of six months. Fighting relegation unsuccessfully as well up until the weekend. It's his first few games, as Luca probably knows, weren't too impressive. Well, they beat the mighty Frosinone, so Serie A status should be sure. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one, Renocchio, because obviously you can sympathise with a player in his situation where he does want to play. He perhaps thinks he could get in the Italy team, even though that seems a bit far-fetched, yeah. Like as you said in his first Sampdoria game, I think gave the ball away and then uh, conceded a goal. But he seems to have settled. I think he's quite happy to be there. I think he did pretty much publicly say he wanted out of Inter. So he's a player with a big reputation, but not necessarily always an entirely positive one. But yeah, I think in Sampdoria there's been a lot of struggles, but. I think they're sort of slowly sort of reaching a point in which they can stabilise and salvage their season and there's no real reason why Ranocchia can't be a part of that even if he's not necessarily the most consistent performer but I think Sampdoria is a place where he can sort of find his home try and rebuild his reputation You're holding high hopes of him Lucas is yet another bet wait he can do alright I mean he was clearly a good player I think people got a bit carried away in what they expected of him I think at times he tries to do too much as a defender like he tries to be this sort of great ball player when perhaps he'd be better off just putting his foot for it but I think he's good enough to keep Sampdoria in Serie A they've been going through a lot of problems, but yeah, I think it's probably the kind of player that Sam Doria needs, someone who has something to prove, and I think he does attempt, <laughs> he always gives his all, it's just not always enough, but I think uh, Inter he was under a lot more pressure, whereas Sam Doria doesn't necessarily have to set the world alight, but as long as he just goes about his business, does as well as he can do, obviously in the his first few appearances, he probably tried to do too much and was made to pay for that. But yeah, he's a he's a good enough player. There's, I mean, he's, he's quite easy to mock, but he should be able to just sort of become a decent standard Serie A player. I don't see any real reason why that's beyond him. 
But back to the Dobby Daly, I think was it D'Ambrosio? He yeah. was the one who he was the one who bossed up, wasn't it, in the UV game? Not half. Oh. I had, I I know D'Ambrosio was stupidly at fault for the goal conceded against Juventus but a bit of an unfortunate error, perhaps you can say, but I think Inter's defence at the start of the year was obviously a, a strong sign of their defensive pragmatism and I think this obviously this but this demonstrated their rise to the top of the Serie A table initially, but this defensive back line that they relied upon has slowly began to disintegrate. But I don't think that's, that is their main problem, to be honest. I think the whole style of play, and I think their reluctance to try and grasp the control on the game, I think that's what led to their downfall, to be honest. I think their defence is, is obviously making some careless mistakes in comparison to the start of the season, but I do think they still are a talented back four. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that as well because the style, if, if you're just trying to win every game 1-0, that puts an incredible amount of pressure on your back line and your goalkeeper to perform at 100% every game, perform at the very top level. And they did do that for a while, but then I think they are naturally going to be prone to burnout. They do need help from further up the pitch. So I think it, perhaps at times it's obvious to blame the defence because it was at times the best aspect of that inter-team but you can't expect them to just keep everything out that's an impossible task for any team they've been on a bit of a slide for pretty much since the start of the year since Domenico Berardi scored that penalty for Sassuolo because it's incredible to think when you look back at that game Inter were 90 minutes away from becoming the winter champions like the they, they, I suppose they were unlucky enough that day. They did have their chances to do it. I think Consigli had an absolute just wonder game. He was unbeatable for Sassuolo. And maybe on another day, if the ball had fallen rightly for them, they, they could have went on and won that game. And who knows the, the confidence it might have given them. But since that game, they just it seemed to snap the confidence and there seemed to be a bit of doubts in what they were doing. And I suppose it, another thing is, and this is probably where you're levelling a lot of criticism at Mancini, is if you're setting up to win most games 1-0, as they did for much of the season, just look at the their fixtures and the results. Like It's been the, the common final score in their games. Uh, aside from a few, I think, against Sampdoria, they, they managed to score a few at home, Frosinone as well. But on the whole, when they have been winning... They've not been overly convincing. They have been squeezing out the wins for much of the season. And to be fair, for the first five, six months of the season, hats off to them. It was working. But I think you're almost playing for fire or playing with fire, sorry, when you're trying to just eke out these one goal wins every week and it's just not going to work for you all the time. And it's the last few weeks, yeah, it's just the goals have kind of dried up for Ricardi. I think he's a real frustrated striker as well at the minute. He strikes me as someone who is more than probably a little bit angry with the service that he gets from his teammates. He just doesn't get enough. I think there was one good ball in from Palacio against Juve for him that he kind of snatched at it and knocked it across goal as opposed to shooting it. But that was about it that he had against Juve. And this is a team who he's kind of built his reputation on scoring goals against, even at Sampdoria. So he's, as the captain and the leader from the front, he really strikes me as someone who's kind of summing up the malaise in there almost at the moment. Like you said, Paddy, there is such a lack of goals within that inter side. 
Lala's just got two. Steven Hobbit's just got four. Cardi's leading the way, obviously, with 11. But I think like, I think this lack of goals, I don't understand how you can expect to excel in Serie A with this lack of goals. Like, Jovetic, Icardi, Jajic, Adair, Palacio. Like, these are these quality, a lot of them. Like, Serie A strikers are attacking players. Like, you maybe wonder if somebody else was in charge, would they be able to get to get the best out of them. I know Mancini sees them every day and, and we don't, but it's hard to believe someone like Stevan Jovetic can't find his way into a team struggling for goals, like, isn't it? That's one of the main criticisms. If you look at it, Jovetic was always a player that at Fiorentina would score a lot of goals, but he was never a more than 10 a season sort of player. No, no I agree with you in the sense that Stevan Jovetic isn't the man. I don't think he is the man to solve their goal-scoring problems. And I, I, I'd agree with you in the sense that he never was an out-and-out goal scorer. However, I, I just think in general, I think that, I think their lack of goal-scoring ambition is more the worry, to be honest. And I think that's where the problem can be aimed towards Mancini. I think the blame, I do personally believe the blame squarely lies with him. Like Icardi ha- hasn't had the best of seasons, and he still still scored eleven goals, eleven domestic goals. It's just, it's a, it's an it's an impressive start. Like that, that is an extremely impressive start, and he's demonstrated in the past his clinical ability when he is in front of goal, and people know if he get, does receive the right service, he will score. I'm not sure though if it is perhaps entirely fair to put it all entirely on Mancini as sort of pragmatic a coach as he may be, because. Even players like Podolski or Shakiri, when they went to Inter, they always have these sort of, sort of vaguely big name attacking signings, and they just seem to really struggle at that club. I, I, it's hard to really put a finger on it. Is there something perhaps more structural there when there are just team players, these sort of players with a bigger reputation, really struggle to get going there? I mean, Adair, even when he was at Sampdoria. Obviously, he was like one of the top scorers in the league, and he's like getting a lot more criticism at Inter. I don't know if it's just far harder to deal with the pressure there at the Stadio Giuseppe Meazza. If that's something that really weighs players down, even Perisic, there's all this protracted saga. Oh, is he going to come from Wolfsburg? He does, and then he's done okay, but he's perhaps not hit the heights which were expected of him. So it's just I don't know. Is it really difficult for players to adapt to playing for Inter? Or adapt to Mancini's passive style of play? Well, yeah, I, I imagine it probably is both. But even perhaps before Mancini, they've never really had this top forward, perhaps who's been as loved as someone like Diego Melito was. And that was, what, five years ago? They've still... Obviously, Icardi's the future, but they, they still don't seem entirely happy there for some reason. Well, it's something we talk about week in, week out as well. It's just the general expectation of fans that they hype a lot of people up and they may not always be what's expected of them. Yeah, but but do you not think, obviously, there's fans' expectation, especially in terms of players with such attack and talent, but at the same time, these players have, these players, Inter spent a, a huge amount of money in the summer. Inter did spend a huge amount of money and expectations were there for a reason. These expectations were placed upon Mancini. And last year, I, I personally think Mancini actually had a fairly easy ride during the previous campaign. I think towards the season, into I personally think that play really petered out and he escaped a lot of blame due to these decreased expectations. Whereas this this season, a lot more was expect, expected from this Nerazzurri side. And 
I, I, I personally think he's failed to failed to deliver. To take a, a sort of a step down from my neutral stance, I think it's fair to say that the, a lot of the blame does lie with Mancini because I was never really that impressed with him when he first came into the club and played with Mazzari. But also just to dissect the signings, I know you said the expectations are there for a reason, but if you look Perisic when he was at Dortmund, he was never a huge, huge player. He was promising but then he left for Wolfsburg, and Wolfsburg he was considerably inconsistent, much like he's been at Inter, if not worse. Jovetic came off the back of quite a few injuries. So, so why is he signing these players, Connor? Yeah, but it's not not really much benefit in being too short-term. Even a player like Kondogbia, they spend a lot of money on him, and he hasn't necessarily lived up to expectation. But perhaps next season he'll really get going. I think patience is often... Mm undervalued in football and perhaps especially in Italy. So. I do think there's something that we haven't necessarily considered a lot as well. I mean, if you look at a regular on this show, Nick Carroll, probably be pleased to hear is that he often brings up, you know, Inter have this long-term future. And while I do say that I might not uh, consider Torhir to be the exact right fit for them, uh, there, ha- there has been a lot of talk of, oh, what are they doing wrong, blah, blah, blah. But it can be the fact that, you know, we just have to wait. It could be the likes of Perisic, Jovetic, even Akadi continues doing so. They, they could all have a fantastic season next year. And this could just be the season that they start to gel. A lot of the big teams have that. No, yeah, I, I, suppose, I suppose you could be right. And I, I do think I do think they ha- there is a lot of promise within this inter-side. I'm not denying that. I, I do think there is a lot of promise and talent, especially, as we said before, in terms of the defensive structure. And also the midfield. I think the midfield have a lot of creative players within that. I just think they need a specific, tailored style of play to suit these type of talented players. In terms of a coaching change, I think next season there's going to be extremely decisive in terms of Mancini's future at the club. But I think also the next few months, as we lead up to the end of the end of the Serie A campaign, these next ten or so matches, I think we'll really decipher what Mancini's ambition is and the, how his side actually do cope with a lack of form. Right, well, of course, to move on from from Inter will be interesting to see what happens. But we'll talk about another team that. I guess you could argue that they've had a considerable lack of form or at least it's taken a, a somewhat of a dip in recent weeks is Napoli because they drew one all against Fiorentina on Monday evening, this evening on the night of recording. And they also got kicked out of the Europa League alongside Fiorentina, of course, we can't forget that. So, Padre, I think it's best to start with the Europa League failings. I mean, what really went on there? They were one of the sides tipped to go on and win the competition. I think that people maybe underestimated Villarreal to an extent. Like, I just think that they're no bad team and that there's really no shame whatsoever in Napoli going out to them. And if you look at the two legs as well, I think Napoli were fairly unlucky. Like In the, the game at El Madrigal, they really were undone just by like a moment of class out of nothing. That free kick not long left in the game that there was just no way Reina was ever keeping that out. An unbelievable goal. And then in the second leg, somewhat more fortuitous, but another strike that just you couldn't really do anything about. It was a cross that... He meant it, everyone. He meant it. He meant it, did he? <laughs> well, if he did, he won't be at Villarreal much longer. Be big, big things on the horizon for him. Yeah, maybe so. But yeah, I, I just thought that Napoli were, unlike Fiorentina, yeah, they, they were quite unlucky and they can maybe look back on the Europa League and think over a 
two leg knockout tie maybe these ones go against you maybe six or seven times out of ten Napoli win that tie this was just one of those occasions when things just didn't quite fall right for them and it could be a massive blessing in disguise for them I know that they'll be hoping that that Juve want to do the business in Munich both for the coefficient in Serie A's sake and that if Juve are now concentrated on the Champions League again and can go far like last season because remember last season when they got to the final they were so far ahead of everybody else that it didn't really matter not that they did drop a whole lot of points but this time around there's there's maybe a different kind of pressure on Juve with Napoli chasing them so if anything it might be a good thing in the long run for Napoli but at the minute they are just kind of floundering a little bit but I don't think they're playing as badly as some people are kind of suggesting I I don't think that they should be kind of hitting the panic button or anything like that just yet Connor. I'm not sure if necessarily getting kicked out of Europe is so much of a blessing it's not like they have too many fixture commitments in Italy that's not too congested a schedule but I would agree that they're not really playing too badly against Villarreal they were unlucky they've they're still a good team. They're just going for a little bit of a blip. But obviously, you have to see how they deal with that. But I don't think they necessarily warrant too much criticism. They're still a good team. They were unlucky against Villarreal. And you would expect that they can learn from what ne- not necessarily mistakes, but just moments of adversity and really start to push on again because they they do sort of the way they've been playing. They do deserve to get something out of this season, which they can be proud of. And Luca, what about Fiorentina's kicking out of the competition to Tottenham at three 0 in the second leg at White Hart Lane? Is that nearly as much as a blessing? I think that would have hurt them that defeat to Spurs, because sort of even in all the the pre match chat, Pochettino and Souza were all very complimentary to each other. Sort of seemed to regard one another as their counterparts in Italy and England, but then Fiorentina really. Even in the first leg, in the first half, they were outplayed by Tottenham. Second leg, like players like Valero or Badelge, they just never really got going. They looked completely unable to deal with the pressing from Spurs. So I think it will perhaps be a bit of a mental blow. They'll want to get their energy back. But against Napoli, they showed a bit more. So it's a bit hard to see what perhaps the golfing class is between a Tottenham and a Fiorentina because they seem to hold one another in high esteem but yeah I think Fiorentina would have liked to go further in that tournament it's obviously another route into the Champions League if they can't finish third so they I I would imagine that they they were very disappointed by that result as they thought they could do better but yeah obviously you have to try and see it as a blessing in disguise when perhaps it doesn't feel like one. And of course, you'd think that they at least it somewhat made up for it for the fans with their performance against Napoli. They used that pressing that they weren't able to deal with against Tottenham. They used that themselves against Napoli. And you've got to say, it's one of the first times this season that you've seen Napoli played off the pitch. Yeah, I, I wouldn't actually say Napoli were played off the pitch. I think it was quite an even game. I think it was a great match, actually, in terms of Serie A this year. I think it was a real tactical battle. And I think... But what I was, I was extremely impressed with Fiorentina's defensive structure, especially in terms of how they performed against Tottenham. I think their their fullbacks completely collapsed against Tottenham. They were they were nowhere to be seen as when Tottenham scored. I think two of their goals at least came from defensive lapses on the on the wings. But I, th- I think against Napoli, I think 
I think Napoli ran out of ideas at, almost towards the end. They came close with Kayakon's strike. But I think towards the end, I think Fiorentina actually hung on to the draw fairly easily. Um, and I was, I was actually I was really impressed with Fiorentina, and especially after that Europa League disappointment. Marisa Sarri said that it was a showcase for, for football in general and for Italian football for all, the way that both sides played with that attacking intent and as you said, it was it was actually quite equal while Fiorentina were very dominant. Napoli did have their equal share and they were denied by the man that Paddy you tipped a while ago, Ciprian Tartarasanu. Yeah, really kind of proving what he can do. Um as I said before, I, I really rate him. I think he's a solid keeper, one of the best in the league and some of the the double saves that he made, like that is that's right out of the top draw. Napoli probably didn't work him as much as they would have wanted, but when he was called into action, he really impressed. Well, I think some people seem to kind of be maybe pointing fingers in his direction a bit for the goal, but I think that was all Marcus Alonso probably still celebrating or going over the goal that he'd scored. I think it was 67 seconds before in his head, and maybe just still that was that was kind of the main reason for it for me was Alonso maybe just a lack of concentration and panicking a little from the long ball forward I wouldn't blame Tarasano for that he was best player in the park for me maybe pushed closely by Tello who's really impressive hard to see why it didn't work out for him at Porto based on how he's performed at Fiorentina so far he's really hit the ground running he could be a big player as well in the running because he tortured Gulam all night so he's he's another one that at Fiorentina that I'm really impressed with at the minute. Yeah, I'd certainly agree with that about Tatuazani, who's definitely excellent. That double save was incredible. And then just perhaps more run-of-the-mill saves he made, no mistake. I think it'd be certainly wrong to blame him for the goal. He has to sort of show himself as the last defender and the goalkeeper that he can play a back pass, start moves forward. And yeah, even that goal, it showed that in a game where Fiorentina played very well, that the goal can just be something random. It's one individual mistake from Alonso. And over the course of the entire match, it probably flattered Napoli somewhat, even if they did look dangerous at times. So just shows that it can be random as well as Fiorentina played. They didn't get the result they deserved, but that's just how things go. It can just be the complete random bounce of a ball or how on occasion falls to an attacking player. There's no sense to it. Fiorentina played very well perhaps didn't get what they deserve, but that's how it goes, and that's often what makes the game more entertaining. And does this result actually favour any side? Do you think it was a very entertaining match, but Fiorentina still remain behind Roma, Fiorentina stay in fourth place on 53 points, and Napoli failed to make up ground once more on Juve? I actually think the race for th- race between Roma and Fiorentina is going to be extremely interesting now as we enter the last the latter stages of the season anyway. Level on points... Roma in form, Fiorentina in form. I actually think that that could be a really interesting race for third place now, the final Champions League spot. Um, whereas Napoli, I think, I think they need to amend this lack of form at the moment. Well, I know Paddy doesn't think it's a lack of form, and but, but I think I, I personally think they're struggling from a, a lack of strength and depth in their squad. To be honest, I, do, I think their squad is, in terms of their starting eleven. I, I, I personally think Napoli's squad is. I think they do have some, quite a lot of depth, though, because it's players like, I don't know, Mertens or Lopez, but they, who were regulars last Even Gabbiadini doesn't really get that much of a look in. And they are, they're certainly good players. So I think they do have options from the bench. And then again, with being knocked out of Europe, it's less of an 
option for them to rotate and keep everyone happy. So I think that is certainly a problem for Sauri to try and keep everyone involved in the squad pushing in the same direction. I do think they have players who can come off the bench and help the team. They're certainly good enough. They're quite predictable substitutions, though, don't you think? Like Gabbiadini usually comes on for the last 10 minutes. Kayakin usually makes way for Mertens. I, th- I think Sally, I think he generally depends on similar, ta- similar tactics, similar substitutions throughout most games. But I think I think their initial start in 11, I think, is fantastic. I think their three substitutions, as in Gabbiadini, Mertens, I think, I think there's some great players to come off the bench. But I, I think in term, I think they may be struggling from a slight lack of strength within the squad. I think they have lack of depth. But it'd be interesting to see if they can turn this around and actually escape this or get back to winning ways and scoring the goals that they were previously. Coming off that slightly, do you think if they say they're not able to, is there a slight worry that they won't be able to get back to the way Juve ran away with the title and what's been an extremely exciting season so far with this chase for first place is going to turn into what it was at the back end of last season where we're just... Yeah, the whole excitement's on who's going to finish third and not who's going to finish first. Yeah, I think I would definitely agree with that question. There is something of a, a seeming inevitability that Juventus are just going to win the league because that's what Juventus do. I remember sort of in September, it's all very much exciting. Is it going to be Napoli? Is it going to be Fiorentina? Is it going to be Inter? Is it someone different? So... I think for the reputation of Serie A abroad as a whole, you do kind of perhaps hope that Napoli can keep up and eventually win the Scudetto because if Juventus just keep winning over and over, it just makes the entire league look like there's just no real proper competitive element to it. But Juventus are the strongest team and from a purely footballing standpoint, they probably would deserve to win it. But I think it would certainly be more romantic if Napoli can catch up and eventually pip them to the title but it doesn't seem especially likely I think it will be Juve who win it from here they've, they've just got more experience they've got better players they've got more depth they've probably got a coach who's more uh, acclimatised to doing what you need to do to win the title so yeah I think Napoli probably second no doubt about that but first might be a step too far Right, well, we're going to move into the lovely little question time of the podcast uh, because we've got an email from the ever-present Maro Chialetti and he's, he's got a big one for us. He says, hi, guys. With a reportedly huge windfall for premiership clubs next season from the Sky TV money, how are other leagues supposed to compete? All this hype around that English Premier League being the best league in the world is really more a case of it being the richest league in the world and by default the best the brand of football is less tactical and less technical than the other leagues. And frankly, it's just pace and physicality rather than technique or tactical noose. Obviously, that's his statement, not the question. And so has the not-so-level playing field been tipped so much far that it's fair to say the results in the pitch are going to be frankly predictable? Is it going to be more of a, a financial battle for Serie A now with all these English teams getting in all the money? How are they going to keep hold of their players like Paul Pogba? Well, I think... You obviously have had this massive financial aspect of football for decades now, and that was why Serie A was where it was. Like, like teams like Vicenza used to have the world transfer record for Paolo Rossi, but I don't think money is everything in football because obviously the Premier League teams do have more money, but that doesn't mean that they necessarily get the most out of it. If teams abroad know that the Premier League teams have money, they're going to overcharge them for players. 
teams like Manchester City, they're incredibly wealthy, but they don't necessarily dominate competition in England. Like obviously, you can try to buy all these big name players who have all these reputations, but then there's no reason why some younger players who are still creating their own reputation can't come through and compete with them and beat them. The main danger is that you have all these teams in Europe who have to kind of get wise to the fact that they are behind financially, but there's no reason why they can't try to exploit that, try to make the most out of it, try and get as much money off the English teams as they can for players who aren't worth as much as teams are willing to pay. I think perhaps danger isn't necessarily the big-name players like Paul Pogba, as mentioned. Obviously, he came from Manchester United. Juventus were willing to give him a chance when they weren't. I think perhaps what the Serie A teams need to worry about is more like your sort of lesser-rung players. Like, I don't know, Alberto Poloski goes from Chievo, could go to a sort of decent Serie A team. Instead, he goes to Swansea for quite a bit of money. I think perhaps for the smaller teams, it will be hard to compete. They can just sort of try and keep their heads above water domestically. But I think there's no real reason why the other Serie A teams can't get get wise and try and just basically take the richer teams for all they've got. If you've got a player, just cash in, reinvest it wisely. It's just it's more difficult, but there's no reason why it's not feasible. At the same time, however, does that create a, an even bigger dilemma, these teams trying to cash in? Let's take, for example, Sampdoria. So they wanted to cash in on Muriel. If a team in Serie A offers them $10 million for him, which would be a reasonable price for a striker of his calibre, and yet they try and drive up the price to $20 million from an English Premier League team, that's therefore detrimental to the league itself because more players are leaving and no one's really willing to accept money unless it's big. Yeah, I would I'd certainly suppose that, that that is true, but it's somewhat inevitable that teams, if, if a player breaks through with them, they're going to eventually move on. Obviously, Sampdoria sold Adair to Inter this, this January. They could have perhaps sold him to Leicester, maybe got some more money. But yeah, I've, obviously, they might. It, it would be a bit sort of depressing to a certain extent if the way that football went was that the way that you succeed is that you just create a player of raw potential and then just sell him on to England and buy two or three good players and that's how you shine domestically but there, there is a certain kind of cynical sort of brilliance in that but I don't think that Serie A is ever going to be so far behind that it's just completely just feeding off the scraps of England you can just try and make the most out of this sort of financial imbalance try to exploit it and just become an exporting country but you don't know where it's going to go. You, the Premier League, could, the, the entire bottom could fall out of it. Financially, the football's always sort of big money, but you don't know how sustainable that is. That could collapse, as it, in fact, did in Italy. So it's, it is quite hard to predict the future, but the, Italy's a big enough country. It generates enough talent of its own. It's got a strong national team. It should be able to compete. Perhaps it can't just buy titles, but it has to get wise to that and just see what it can do with limited resources and I think for the most part it does well enough with that as it is. Continuing with Mauro's question is he he states his worrying his worryness for uh, not being able to call him big names but if you look at who City has brought in this season you, you wouldn't be so worried would you with the likes of bringing Condogbia and Alexandro no, Are they big names though? Like I'd be a bit 
Well, it's, who would you class? Who would you classify as a big name if you expect them to bring in, you know, a Gerard Piquet or even a Lionel Messi every year? Then that could be expecting too much. Whereas a big name could just be someone who's generally well known, like Mark Bartra. You don't need Piquet or Bartra when you've got Benucci, Connell. <laughs> I don't rate him, not one bit. You don't rate Benucci? Ah, no, I don't rate Benucci. See, I think he's a good defender, right? I'll give him that, but he's not world class he's not oh, considerably yes. under he's yes. not underrated he does the job sure but it's no way he's better than someone like Barzali and there's no way he's better than someone like Koulibaly or even Gonzalo Rodriguez oh oh I've, I've said <laughs> it I've put it down did you hear that bad <laughs> what do you make oh, I'm actually speechless I don't know if you're just trying to get a rise out of us there Connell uh, I'm, I'm, I'm genuine. I think I think he's had a couple of good seasons. I think last season more than any. I think this season he's been average at best, barring average his game against best. Inter. Oh, average at Bonucci best. Bonucci is Bonucci. Luca probably remembers this as well. Didn't Bonucci a few years ago a guy tried to mug him with a gun and Bonucci chased I him? I punched him in the face. Yeah. Animal. He's the man. He chased a gun wield and assailant down the road. Lorenzo Insigne didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there's a difference in stature, I mean, come on. Well, Bonucci showed courage. Not that I'm saying Insigne didn't. No, don't don't twist my words, Connor. But just, I'm, I still can't get over this. There will be a lot of angry fan mail coming your way, and rightly so. There will be, but I will defend my point until the end. I, I am accepting that he's he's a good defender. I'd take him any club, but I you mean, can you can Benucci's can you? the one that plays for Juve. Ranocchi plays for Sampdoria. You know that. I know that, but I mean, would I you really get them confused? It's not necessarily equates to his quality. He's, he's had a few good seasons, but at the same time, he has a lot of mistakes that you're probably missing. We're basing our opinions solely on his footballing prowess, Connor. <laughs> and so am I. This is the real Leo Lovin. Do you know there was a big Leo Lovin on Sunday over Leonardo DiCaprio? Well, there's only one Leonardo that matters. <laughs> big Bonucci. Big Bonucci. the Oscar. He'd never get an Oscar for his performance. And the Oscar for best defender in Serie A goes to... All right, maybe best supporting actor or best supporting defender because he's good at backing up other people, but he's not necessarily going to steal the show. If you put him in a defense that hasn't got Chiellini or Barzagli in it, then he's just your... You are making me <laughs> angry before bed, and I don't like to go to bed, Or mad. just your average Syria or Italian defender. He's, he's no better than someone like... He's no better than someone like Ranocchio. Oh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, the movie that's that's a step too far, but no, I don't I don't think he's necessarily world class. He's good, just not world class. I think the only thing that I'll meet you somewhat, maybe halfway, is that if you're perhaps comparing him to great Serie A, Italian, or even Juve defenders of the past, maybe he's not quite at their level. And Maybe. He's by no standards near their level. Well, that's... I mean, I've, I've got to admit, I mean, he's got great great skill going forward as well. I mean, Luke was talking about the little swivel he did against Inter, and obviously you see all the goals he scored, I mean, especially if you look back at the, the volley, I believe it was against Roma. He's definitely great at that, but he's not 100% the best defender. 
I mean, if you put 10 defenders in Serie A next to each other, he'd maybe make 11. He'd be the 11th best centre-back in Serie A, you mean? I I generally believe I, I could put together a list of 10, 10 better. You, you, you put together this list and you can come back to us with it because <laughs> I'm interested to see who makes it up. Oh, a story run cow. No, 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 no. I wouldn't have... You're not, you're not going to convince me. I'm just... You, you've upset me now. That's upsetting. Would he deserve this big money move away then? You're thinking he'd get a lot of money if an English Premier League club wants him? Is he going to compete with the likes of Angelo Ogbonna? Doesn't need to go anywhere. He's one of the best teams in the world, isn't he? team that he loves playing for. He's a hero. Why, why, why would he leave? Like, it's different for a Pogba or someone like that, but Bonucci, no, he won't. He'll stay in. Prove you wrong week after week for many seasons to come. He seems to forget that I said he's a good defender. He's good. Great. He's the best. He punches thieves. In 30 years, that'll be the narrative. Bonucci, the one who punched the thief, as as well as Chiellini will just be an icon of playing on with a bloody thief. Bloody thief, bloody face, like bandages on his head. Bonucci punches thieves solid at the back, can play the ball. That's that's how I'll be remembered. That'll be his legacy. The second best will be his legacy. Anyway, <laughs> well, talking of shoddy Italian defenders, it's about time we eventually got back to Ranocchia because, Luca, you've already given your stance on him. He's not overly bad. He's just very prone to mistakes, but uh, he kept in a good shift as... Sampdoria beat Frosinone 2-0 at the weekend and some would say that's wrapped up the relegation battle, at least for Sampdoria. Uh, I'm not too sure about that. Obviously Montella in his capacity as coach was wary of complacency but there's been a few false storms for Sampdoria already. They they beat Genoa in the derby, put in a good shift against Juventus and then lost and then just went on this massive streak without winning but they, they played very well against Frosinone they did control the game Fernando's first goal was very nice patient persistent just knocking the ball about 1-2 with De Silvestri before finding the net so they played good stuff it looked like it was finally really clicking on the Montella but it'll be hard to see if that uh, carries on until the end of the season but there's a little bit of a gap between them and the bottom three and the bottom three do seem to be quite some way behind the rest but the relegation battle perhaps isn't the most exciting that it could be but perhaps Frosinone could come back and coach Stallone certainly seems to believe it so yeah there's no real reason for Sampdoria to feel they've got the job done but they did play well but still still a long way to go I actually think the sign of Guardiola can may prove to be quite important for Sampdoria. I think he scored a big goal at the weekend against Frosinone and he was certainly happy with it as he tore his shirt off and ran towards the, the stands. But yeah, I think I actually think Quagliola can prove to be quite a good sign and for Sampdoria might prove to score a few important goals. We fill a similar role to what Adair did? It was sort of a workhorse nature? Perhaps. I didn't think... I think Adair was a bit of a unique striker for Sampdoria especially as the team weren't necessarily performing but Adair continued to work hard and score goals I do think Quigliola relies on a certain amount of service um, so it'll only be a matter of time to see if 
the players behind. You can actually provide them with this and see if you can maybe fill Adair's goal-scoring boots. And obviously in the other games that we did have, City at the bottom of the table, we had Carpi draw one all against Atalanta. You also had Genoa, who were not far off the relegation zone. They lost 1-0 to Chievo Verona. That's the only joy that was going on in Verona. As the other side, Hellas, lost 2-0 to Udinese. <laughs> Luke, I'm going to bring you back to it. You really think they can still avoid the drop? If you look at their upcoming fixture lists, it could be possible. Um, no, and in terms of, I, I think in terms of their hopes of staying up, I think probably, well, I, I think they are too far adrift now. I think in terms of their upcoming fixtures, they're five points behind Rosinone, who are 18th, and nine points behind Palermo, who are 17th. I think, it, I think Hellas are probably down now, to be honest. No chance to think. A swallow overturned five with this this amount of time to go. I think that might be the, the most amount that's been overturned, but the omens aren't there for them, mate. Lucatoni and Giampaolo Pazzini, though, Paddy. The dream team. The dream team. Uh, I don't think the dream team will be enough, to be honest. Two big branches of the same tree trunk, as Enzo Miseraca might call them. That kind of centre-forward. He wasn't best happy with them last week. He insulted Lucatoni, saying that he was a one-dimensional. If there's one thing that Lucatoni isn't, it's one-dimensional. Watch his goal against Napoli from last season. Just rolls in, then just batters his way through a defender. It just it just combined every possible element of football that there is. As that valiant stallion of the game netted, he, he's just he can't do it all by himself. Not anymore. But he he's quality. It is and you'd hope for him, him at least, that Verona can stay up. His little retirement wish. Too nostalgic, Connell. You can't be. No, gone. Finished. <laughs> ride off into the sunset, Luca. We're going to ride off into the sunset too with Luca for this podcast because it has come to the end. We've given you the roundup actually quite early on that one. Uh, all the other games, just to cap off, of course, you did have Palermo draw 0 0 against Bologna, had Roma beat Empoli 3 1, Milan beat Torino 1 0. Small highlight from that game was when Umbai Niang decided to ride on a Torino defender's back and then obviously unfortunately he did crash his car after the game which could have him out for a few months reportedly although the full extent of the crash is yet to be revealed and then on Monday evening you also had Lazio against Swallow, and Swallow actually won 2-0 in that one that wraps up yet another podcast and it's thanks from me Luca, Luke and Padraig and Chelf
that thing for that ain't gonna an insult flag, apologies. What? Right? It's not an insult.